A reading from Genesis chapter 32, beginning at the 22nd verse. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. The epistle is from Romans chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us.
the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a story or a fable that's told somewhere about the altar that has the five fingerprints in it. So writes Luther. He says there was a stone altar that was uh, five fingerprints put into it by a certain man. The man, you see, had requested that he be given the same host that the priest used. And when this his request was denied, he struck the altar with his right hand so hard, either moved by terror or a certain act of indignation, but he struck the altar so hard that it left the imprint of five fingers in the stone. For a man in temptation or smitten by terror does what would otherwise be impossible outside of that temptation. And in this way, therefore, that man who was Christ our Lord struggled with Jacob in the same manner in which a man engages with a man. But when the Lord saw that Jacob was stronger, especially in faith, something which God does not want to resist, he employed a special, he employed, employed a special trick of wrestlers and touched the joint of Jacob's hip and drove it out of its socket. Accordingly, Moses wants to tell us that the man moved the bone of Jacob's thigh from its place and dislocated his hip, which is very painful. It's intriguing, isn't it? It's intriguing that God will wrestle with man and that he will even inflict pain upon us. Why? It's interesting, isn't it? Jacob, whose name means duplicitous cheat or supplanter, is just hours away from meeting his brother, his estranged brother, a brother who, who, who many years before had said, next time I see Jacob, I'm going to kill him. And this is just hours away. As soon as the next day dawns, during the next day, somewhere along that road, he will encounter Esau. It will happen. And Jacob knows this. But he forgets all about the next day's encounter when somebody jumps upon him in the darkness and begins to wrestle with him. In fact, the word for wrestle in Hebrew here means to literally be, 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 be causing a huge dust cloud. And so the man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day. And Jacob finds himself in this desperate struggle. Now, why does God do it? Why does God, the Son, Jesus Christ, why does the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ attack his own forefather and wrestle with his own forefather, Jacob? And while we're considering this, we might also inquire why he does the same thing for us, with us. Why does he wrestle with us? I mean, why does God bring conflict, fear, and turmoil into any of our lives? And if you don't think that he does this, you're sorely mistaken. God absolutely does this. There's no, there, there are no coincidences with God. God always has a purpose behind everything that happens in our world. There's always a reason. So why does God do this? Why? Because I believe God wants us to struggle with Him so that we begin to understand what is actual, authentic faith. That faith that is only possible through intense theological struggle. The only way that we ever reach maturity as Christians is if we struggle with God. That's what Luther believes. He believes that the the Christian faith is based on three pillars. One pillar is mendatio, which is to, to study God's word. The second one is oratio, to worship, right? And the third one, the hardest one, is tentatio, struggle. 
And what is tentatio? Tentatio is the spiritual attack of affliction that comes when one meditates on the word of God. We see this, this echoed in Psalm 119 where the psalmist cries out, Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your Torah, your law. There is a parallel to this, this verse in the large catechism or the small catechism of Luther in the third petition to the creed where, where, God's, where it talks about God's will, the third petition to the Lord's Prayer, God's will be done. And, and Luther writes that God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil will and plan and counsel and purpose of the devil, the world and our sinful nature, which does not want to hallow God's word nor let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die, this is God's good and gracious will. And we are praying for this every time we say the Lord's Prayer. We're praying for God to break our evil plans and to break our evil wills and to break and to make our will his will and his will ours to bring our, our wills into line with his will. And that's what God is doing for Jacob. For what was Jacob really? What kind of person was Jacob? Jacob was a person who was always manipulating others to get what he want, what he wanted, and always being manipulated in return. I mean, look at his life. Instead of letting God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jacob was always trying to do things by his own reason or strength. So, Jacob deceived his poor, blind, elderly father into giving him a blessing and an inheritance that legally belonged to his brother Esau. Right? Now, there was a prophecy that that, that Jacob would inherit that. But instead of letting God just work it out in God's timing and according to God's way, no, Jacob had to manipulate it. Jacob tricked his famished brother Esau as well into selling his birthright for essentially what was a bowl of lentil chili, vegetarian chili. And then when Jacob had to flee for his life from his brother Esau, he wanted to kill him, and justifiably so. Jacob fled to his uncle, Uncle Laban, and he asked for the hand of Laban's younger daughter, which in the ancient world is, is, a, is an insult to the older sister who had not been married yet. See, in the ancient world, the, the, the younger daughter isn't put out into society for marriage until the older daughters are married. And so he disgraces Leah by asking for the hand of Rachel. And then, and then Laban says, you can work for seven, seven years to marry Rachel, right? Hope, hoping probably that within that seven years, a suitor will be found for Leah. But Leah's kind of an ugly girl. She's not very attractive and no one comes forward. And so what does Laban do? He tricks the deceiver. And Jacob wakes up on his wedding night, the day of his wedding, the day after his wedding, finding that he's married to Leah. And he has to work another seven years to get the hand of Rachel. And then, and then the two sisters don't like each other. And then they, they, they trick him into, into marrying two more women. And they have baby wars. So that by the time Jacob is sitting there wrestling with this, this attacker in the dust and the darkness, his life is miserable with four women that are having children and don't like each other. Constant turmoil. Constant conflict in his house. And why has God maneuvered Jacob into this place? To destroy Jacob's reliance upon himself. 
forced Jacob to cling to God and to trust only in him. And ironically, it is this same assailant that we face when we stare into the impenetrable, impenetrable darkness of our own futures as we watch our stock investments plummet, our health grow worse, as wars erupt and fears race around the planet, we too are struggling in a dusty darkness. We too are under assault. And we wonder in, those, in these times why this is happening to us. How could our plans have gone so wrong, so amiss? But then it dawns upon us, doesn't it, as it did to Jacob, that the one we're wrestling with is not an enemy, but it is God, our best friend. And instead of fighting him, we begin to cling to him and hold on to him because we realize that it's only through him that we'll be saved. We begin to trust him. This is exactly the place that God led Job to. You know, it was only after Job had lost his wealth and he had lost his family and he had lost his health and he's sitting on a pile of ashes scraping his open sores with a, with a pot shard that he's able to say in Job 13 verse 15 though he slay me yet I will trust him yes Job came to this amazing conclusion only, having, only after having lost all of his wealth and everything. And Jacob is brought to the same place as he refuses to relinquish his grip upon God unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. Which is what we need as well. Because what is, God, what is God's blessing? Jacob realizes that God's blessing is everything. It means everything. Because without the eulogeo of God, without the blessing of God, we have nothing. And even if we have this whole world and we have not God's blessing, we have nothing. Because God's blessing is eternal life. It is the forgiveness of sins. It is salvation. You know, God is wrestling with Jacob down in the dust and in the darkness to prove to Jacob, like he needs to prove to all of us, that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. Yes, this is why God struggles with us. He wants us to understand this. He wants us to want the same blessedness that Jacob begs God for in his wrestling, the gift of eternal life that can only be given to us as a gift. Yes, that's what God wants us to understand, is that only within this unique document called the Holy Scriptures do we find the words of eternal life, the words of God himself. Only embedded in baptism are we born again of water and the Spirit, and we know this for certainty, and only from the Lord's altar do we eat and drink the forgiveness of sins given to us through Christ's body and blood. In the name of Jesus, amen.